You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Finishing up uh, Acts uh, chapter 9. And the heading in my Bible says Aeneas and Dorcas. So beginning in verse uh, 32 of of Acts chapter 9, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mats. And immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, when translated, is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All of the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, because of course it did. And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Uh, One of the things that we value in and around uh, invitation is giving you an opportunity uh, to hear uh, from different people. God's really blessed this specific community. Uh, with some really incredible people. I say all the time that the best thing about invitation is the people. Uh, The people that God has brought into this place to be a part of this um, community. And what's cool is that gets to be reflected uh, in who gets an opportunity uh, to share um, out of God's word. And so uh, several years ago, uh, I mentioned to my wife, Michaela, hey, if you'd ever want an opportunity Uh, to teach. We would love uh, to hear from you. Michaela and I studied theology and philosophy um, at the University of Sioux Falls. I'll let you decide who was the better student. Um, And it's been just a really uh, amazing uh, journey from meeting her as a 19-year-old, just the life that God's unfolded uh, for us. And so I promise no mushy introductions. So I would just be so appreciative if you would just give an Invitation Church welcome to Michaela. That would be amazing.
different Campbell on the mic tonight. Um, I'm going to get a little bit teary here. Um, I have a friend who says that tears mean something sacred is happening here. So um, this is really a fulfillment of a promise that God gave us about seven years ago um, when I was in the darkest time of my life. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, I literally couldn't get out of bed at that time in my life. It was a dark season. Um, and God gave Dave a literal dream saying that one day I would be sharing that story. And here we are, seven years later. So um, there is a handout tonight for all my visual learners. Um, if you would like, um, in the stool here, there is a handout with three stories that we're going to walk through. Um, so if you haven't gotten one of those, walk on over if you need the chance to move around. Um, so I'd love for you to have that. And Dave pointed out that my slide might be a little too small for people to see. So here you go. You can hold it in your hand. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, we are here to hear from you. Um, we come as we are, as whole people um, in need of you. God, we give you access to our hearts tonight, and we give you access to our minds. God, we give you access to our souls and to our bodies. Um, so may you speak to us tonight. May you strengthen us. Um, and may you empower us and give us hope. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, this is not my day job. Um, my day job is um, working as a mental health therapist. I commute down to uh, Vermilion and Tiangton and work at a private practice there. Um, I get to see kiddos and teenagers, and I do a lot of work with couples um, and then also individuals who are facing mental health concerns, um, grief, loss, uh, family conflict. Um, and I get asked a lot, um, what is it like to be a therapist? And that is a really challenging question to answer um, because it's a combination of so many things. Um, it's often saying, well, it's really wonderful and it's really hard. Um, it's really beautiful to sit with people in the midst of their pain, and it's also really sad. And it's this combination of it's this and it's this, that in order to fully explain what this thing is, it's this and it's this. And so it's this pattern of yes and. Yes, it's hard, and it's beautiful. Yes, it's scary sometimes, and it's really empowering. Yes, it's really lonely, and it's this beautiful communion of sitting with people. So it's this yes and. And I was thinking about the scriptures tonight, and I was thinking about um, life with Jesus, and it just seems like this is such a message of what it means to live and walk with Jesus. It's this yes and. And we've been studying Acts, and Acts is the second part of this big story written by Luke. Um, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then we get this book of Acts. 
Um, and in Luke, we see the story and ministry of Jesus. And then in Acts, we get to see the early church, and we get to see the ministry of the early church. And tonight, we're going to be looking at a couple of stories um, that really this pattern of yes and emerges. Um, so before we jump into that, um, as I was sharing a little bit about my work, just to give you a little example of this yes and, um, early on in my work, I got to work at a domestic violence shelter here in Sioux Falls, and a lot of my work was with kiddos who had been exposed to domestic violence or had experienced domestic violence. And I got to work with this little guy, um, we'll just call him Reggie, um, he was about five, six years old, and Reggie was an older brother, and his younger brother was maybe like three, and we'd been working together, and a lot of our work was how do we express our feelings in ways that aren't hurtful to other people? How do we find ways of sharing what we feel in ways that are appropriate? And so we're playing one day, because a lot of the work with kiddos is with toys, and he's telling me about this fight that he's had with his younger brother earlier in the week, and he says, Michaela, I was so mad at him, and I'm like, yes, this is good, we're talking about mad, this is good, and he goes on to say, I just was so mad at him, and do you know what I wanted to say to him, and I said, what did you want to say to him, buddy, and he goes, well, I didn't just want to say it, but I did say it, Michaela, and I said, okay, what did you say, buddy, and he says, Michaela, I just looked at him, and I said, I'm so mad at you, I ought to give you a colonoscopy, And I thought that was a very effective threat. <laughs> so I laughed really hard. And then we went on to talk about, OK, how do we use that creativity? How do we use that problem solving, um, those strengths that he has, to find maybe a different way of um, telling your brother that you're not OK with what he's doing, right? So this yes and, this moment of, yes, this work is happening, and we still have some work to do, right? And that's what we're going to see in this scripture tonight. Um, in this scripture, as I was reading through it, um, the sense that I got was that as we think about growth, as we think about change, as we think about what God is doing in the early church and what God is doing in us, there's this sense of his growth and his expansion in our lives is really his fulfillment of love to us as individuals, to other people, and then ultimately to the world. And so as we read tonight, and I think as we continue to go through Acts, we're just going to continue to see that as God is growing his church, not only in numbers, not only in geography, but also in depth and understanding of his love, that we get more and more of a picture of his love for each of us as individuals, for others and for the church. It's really just this ongoing revelation of belovedness, that we are beloved by God, and that no part of our story disqualifies us from being a part of that family. And actually, our history might be the very thing that God uses. Something sacred's happening here. So, um, why this story here? Last week, um, last two weeks, Dave has been talking about Saul's conversion, which is a very famous story in the New Testament of Saul, who is this man who is a religious leader, comes from 
the right cultural background, from the right ethnic background, has all the right training, um, and is actually a murderer. Yes, and. Yes, he's all these things. And a murderer. Comes to know Jesus. That Jesus reveals himself to him on the road he's walking. And then Saul comes into acquaintance with believers and is grafted into the family and has this radical change of heart, right? So we just have this major story that's happened. And this is the man who God says, I'm going to use this man as the missionary to the Gentiles. So to those who have no history with the Jewish faith, the Jewish culture, the Jewish ethnicity, these people who are outsiders, this is my man who I'm going to use for that. And then next week, I think, or at least in Acts chapter 10, what's coming next, we have this other really significant story in the New Testament. And it's a story of Peter going to this man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Roman commander. And so he is working for who essentially is like the enemies of the Jews at this time, right? They're taxing them. They're making life really, really hard for them. And he's one of the leaders of that unit. But in Acts 10, we read, so yes, and, yes, he's a Roman commander, and we read that Cornelius is a man who's God-fearing, who prays regularly, who gives to the poor, right? So he's outside of the religious community, the Jewish believers. He's outside of that cultural and ethnic community, and he is somehow connected to what God is doing and is actively participating in it, right? So these two huge stories in the New Testament, the stories that we're going to read tonight or that Dave has already read to us are right in between there. And so why are they there? Why, why didn't Luke just jump from Saul, who's now known as Paul, to the story of Peter and Cornelius? Well, this is really nodding at a continuation of a couple things that have been developing, but it's to really reinforce that. Kind of like, I don't know, like I don't really consider myself like a people that I'm probably not going to be known throughout history, right? Like I'm just going to be Michaela doing my thing, showing up on a day-to-day basis, right? Paul we know about, Cornelius and Peter we know about, but we get to hear about three other individuals who are touched by God's work, who are touched by the ministry of the early church. And it's just kind of this nod back to, hey, this, this is happening here too. It isn't just in these big moments, but it's in these, these places too. And so it's to reinforce this continuation of what's happening. And so kind of three things that we see continuing. One is that there's this geographic continuation that's happening. Okay, so... Um, In Luke, in the first part of this two-part story, um, a lot of the stories happen in and around Jerusalem, the kind of like the religious center of the Jewish faith at the time. And what we see as the story of the church goes forth is that it doesn't just stay in Jerusalem, but that the story goes forth, okay? And so in Acts, at the very beginning of the book, we have Acts 1-8. Let me turn my pages that I haven't turned yet. Again, not my day job. Okay, so Acts 1-8. This is Jesus, like the last words that he says to his followers 
So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't this interesting? Even here, the questions that the disciples ask, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? to free the Jewish people and restore our kingdom. And Jesus says, hey, hey, actually, I'm going to empower you not just to stay in Jerusalem, although that is mentioned in this text, but throughout Judea, which is the region around, to Samaria, which is even a little bit further, and branching out ethnically, and to the ends of the earth, okay? So we have this map, I think, Griff, you mind pulling up a map for me? Maybe. Can you go back one more for me, buddy? Thank you. Okay, so in this bottom region here, you can see where it says Judea. Kind of off to the left corner there, you can see Jerusalem. That's where all of this is taking place, right? That religious center. So you can say, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, which is that orange part, in Samaria, which is that teal spot right above it, and to the ends of the earth. Now, our story tonight, interestingly, happens right on the borderland of Judea and Samaria. So we're starting to see this inch out, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's where we're going to be hanging out tonight. Now, Griff, if you go to the next slide, buddy. This is actually where Peter ends up going over the course of his lifetime. So down in the very bottom corner, this is a map. You can see Jerusalem, and then you can see the two cities that are listed in our story tonight, Joppa and Lydda, very close by. And then you can see, okay, he goes into Syria, Cappadocia, Ephesus, which is in Asia, over to Corinth, and finally over to Italy and Rome. And so we see this expansion of the story of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And it's really, we see this nod and this continuation of this is the fulfillment of God's love to all the places. That it isn't meant to stay contained here, but it's meant to go out and go forth. And that continues today. That hasn't been fulfilled. It continues to be fulfilled. So that's one reason we have these three little stories here, okay? There are two more. Another reason we have these three stories here is it really continues a theme that we see in Jesus' life and ministry, and it continues um, a theme that we see in the ministry of the early church, which is that this, this process of growing and expanding is a fulfillment of God's love to all conditions. Okay, so we see in Jesus him reaching out to people in pain. We see him reaching out to people who are physically hurting, emotionally hurting, spiritually hurting. And we see that continued tonight in this story of these three folks that we're going to be talking about. We see this healing of brokenness. We see power over death. And as a result, we see people turning to Jesus. Now, interestingly, Luke, the story writer, um, we know from historical accounts is a doctor. And so our author tonight is a man who cares 
about people's physical health and well-being, right? He takes care of their bodies. And as we read through the scripture, I encourage you to pay attention to all of the references to the body. Luke, as an author, focuses a lot on the physical, tangible things that are happening, turning towards, touching, reaching out a hand. He, he spends a lot of time emphasizing those things. But the reason this is really cool is that as we see this expansion geographically happening, it's also representative of what's happening um, figuratively and literally within the church body. That as this message goes forth and grows, actually there's this deepening and expanding of an understanding of what does it mean that Jesus heals the broken? What does it mean that Jesus has power over death? What does it mean for people to be wholly connected to him? Not just physically in this expansion, but there's also an expansion in depth and understanding within the church and within individuals as well. And we'll, we're going to see that. Luke says um, in chapter 5 of his first account of the gospel, as um, he's calling disciples to him, Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Yes, and. Yes, we are broken, and we're here seeking wholeness. Okay? The last thing that we see in these three little stories as a bridge is that we really see this continuation of the ideology um, of the necessary component of charity um, and looking out for those who are outcast. Um, Jesus made a lot of people really mad because of who he ate with, who he spent time with. Um, he wasn't spending time with kind of those right people, right? He spent a lot of time with the people who were outcast, and we see that reaffirmed in the stories tonight in, in the people that Peter spends his time with, that this is that sense of God's fulfillment of love not only goes to all the places, to all the conditions, but to all the people that nothing counts you out. Paul, Saul, you who had all the right training, who were connected to the churches that you were supposed to, but who murdered people, you are not out. Cornelius, we're going to see you next time, next week maybe. Yes, I'm going to thumbs up. Teaser. Spoiler. Um, uh, Cornelius, you who are in charge of this massive system that is actually really oppressive to the people of God, but are spending time in prayer, you are not out. You are in. This fulfillment of love is for all people. And actually, in these places of struggle, in these places of the yes, and it's this, and it's this, it's hard, and it's beautiful, in these places of tension, that's actually where we see a lot of growth happening, and that's where God shows up. So let's get back to the scripture. And I am going to read them again just because... That tends to be how I learn. So you're going to get it twice tonight. So if you have your Bible or your phone with you, if you want to follow along, um, we're in Acts 9, and we're just going to read a couple verses at a time. So we are going to read 32 through 35. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named how do I say that again? Aeneas a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. 
All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So, Peter, the last time we saw him, was in Jerusalem. Now, he had been in Jerusalem, and we know that Stephen was martyred, and when he was martyred, that set off a lot of persecution in the church. And so the church scattered out of Jerusalem. So this pattern of things expanding geographically is happening. And so in that time, Peter, along with others, are traveling about the region, connecting with believers in the region. And Peter had been in Samaria. So if you think back on that map, kind of that north region, that teal region, he had been traveling up to Samaria. Samaria was a place where it was a group of people who were um, of uh, mixed ethnic background. So Jewish and what was considered Gentile, so other than Jewish. And it was a place that Jewish community typically didn't want to have anything to do with because of that. So Peter, because of the ministry of Jesus in his own life, because he knows Nobody gets to be left out of this revelation of belovedness. We are all beloved by God. Is traveling in Samaria. And after spending time in Samaria, he went back to Jerusalem. And now we see him going out again, right? So we see this movement that's happening already. So Peter is headed out, and he goes to this place called Lydda. Now, Lydda is northwest of Jerusalem. And again, it's heading toward that borderland territory of we're not just staying in the Jewish community, but we're also expanding into the world. Lida, interestingly, the name of this town, you guys, means strife. Lida means strife. Peter goes to this town called Strife to connect with other believers, other people who are following Jesus. And it's kind of like, like as I was thinking about this, um, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, we had these things called uh, programs that would come to our high school and middle school gyms. You know, sometimes they'd be like acrobats or sometimes they'd be people with dog tricks, right? Sometimes they'd be very serious things too, not just fun and entertaining. But it's kind of like people, you know, who would travel and share their gifts with other people. And it was awesome because you got out of class for a part of the day and it was typically pretty fun. That's what Peter's doing. He's traveling around to go connect with followers of Jesus and to share what's happening, probably to teach, probably to learn. And so he ends up going to Joppa. And as he's there, he meets this man named Aeneas. Now, Aeneas is a Greek name. And oftentimes in this time in the church, uh, people had two names, one Aramaic and Hebrew and one Greek. And that was because of the uh, reality that they were living in a larger culture where Greek was the predominant culture and the predominant language. Aeneas is a Greek name, but he was connected to this group of believers. We don't know if he was a believer. Likely he was since Peter was going to connect with believers. Um, but he is bedridden. And he has been bedridden for eight years. And Peter comes, and I'm going to back up a second. In this, in this uh, story, that very first line when it says, as Peter traveled about the country, in, in some translations it says, Peter came down. And in the Greek, that word came down isn't necessarily traveling south. 
sometimes it does mean that literally. In this case, it doesn't because we know he's actually going north. But this is a word that's used um, when Jesus is baptized, that the dove came down from heaven, that God sends gifts down. And it's kind of this representation of something is being lowered, something is being given. It's this gift of ministry. Peter is coming down, even though he's literally going north. He's not going down. He is figuratively coming down as a minister of Jesus to bring forth what he has learned and to share with people. So Peter goes down, meets Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, although I had to chuckle in the first um, thing, the text that said 80 years, and I was like, dang, that's a lot longer, Aeneas. Um, Eight years, which is still a long time to be bedridden. And Peter uh, says to him, he calls him by name, Aeneas, get Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. Peter calls him by name. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. There's such power in that. There's such power in that. Peter, who walked with Jesus, saw Jesus do this so many times. He would see somebody, he would call them by name, and he would heal them. Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus teaches, Jesus preaches, Jesus heals. And because Peter witnessed that, because he's experienced it himself, he gets to go forth and carry that not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, but to the ends of the world. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that in this scripture. We're seeing that go forth. Aeneas immediately gets up. He was bedridden. And he is up and he is walking. And there's this sense of kind of get up and get going. This pick up your mat is like, come on, let's get going. Go make yourself something to eat. That's kind of what the translation is. Go, go be nourished is what that means. Go and be nourished. Now, do you think that probably just means that Aeneas just enjoys the sense of nourishment for himself? I would imagine probably not. I would imagine Aeneas now has this story to tell. Now, we don't get to hear that in the scripture. We don't get like, you know, Aeneas part two, a couple chapters down the road. We don't. We only get this moment with him until someday we're in heaven and maybe get to talk with him and hear more about what the rest of his life was like. But he, he gets up and he goes forth. And likely what happens is that that story goes on and on, that he continues to meet with people. He shares his story, that other people are impacted by that. We do know from the next verse that says, those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. People witnessed God's work through Peter in Aeneas' life and they start turning to the Lord. They start asking these questions. So then verses 36 through 42, we're going to read the rest of that tell. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. 
Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. There's all that stuff that Luke does, right? Opened her eyes, seeing Peter, she sat up. All those physical things as a doctor he'd be paying attention to. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So one of the consequences of Aeneas being healed is that people start talking. And we are from a rural community. We know what it's like to be from a small town and towns from other towns, hear about that really good basketball player or hear about that land that's for sale or, you know, news spreads, right? That's what's happening here. Hey, did you hear about what happened to Aeneas? He was bedridden for eight years, and now he's up and walking. Do you hear about Aeneas, right? And so this group of believers in Joppa, which is about 12 miles further north, again, this is expanding, further north of Lydda, hear that Peter is in the region. Now, Lydda means strife. Joppa, the town that we're now going to be reading about, means beauty. Strife and beauty. So the believers in that community say, hey, Peter, please come. They beg, please come. Because this woman who is a part of their community and who has been demonstrating such care to the widows in the area has died. She got sick and she died. Interesting that Aeneas in Lydda is bedridden for eight years. We hear here Tabitha has become sick and died and is laid in an upper room, right? So we have Aeneas who's laid out flat, sick, paralyzed. We have Tabitha who's laid out sick and then dead. Interesting the parallels between those two stories. So they beg, please come, please come. And so Peter does. He travels up further north. When he went with them, he arrived and was taken upstairs to a room where her body was. Surrounding her were this group of women who were alone and together. Yes, and. Alone and together. And one of the people who had been with them in a significant way was Tabitha. Tabitha is an Aramaic name. She was also known as Dorcas. That was her Greek name. She was known as Tabitha and Dorcas. When he gets there, Peter sees her laying on this table. And I just have to imagine, knowing what we know about Luke as the author, wrote the Gospel of Luke, now writing Acts, in Luke 8, Luke shares about this story of another person who had died and who was laid on a table. And it's a little girl. Um, her dad's name is Jairus. You can read about that. And so Peter 
goes with Jesus, and he's one of the only people that gets to be in the room with Jesus. But Jesus sends the family out of the room. He prays. And then he says to the girl, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. She opens her eyes, he helps her up, and she's made alive. In this story, we see Peter carrying forth that ministry. What does he do? Exactly the same thing he saw Jesus do. He sends everybody out of the room. It's him and this little girl, or him and this woman. New story. Um, Tabitha. And he gets down on his knees and prays. And I just, as I was studying this this week, I was like, oh, Luke, why couldn't you have put what he prayed? I just wonder what he prayed. I want to know that. But we don't get that. We just know he prayed. He prayed, and then he goes over to her. And again, saying her name, he says, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. She took, he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Interesting here, I think it's so cool that in Luke 8, with the little girl, the phrase is Talitha kum. This phrase in Luke, or excuse me, in Acts 9, Tabitha kum. Same phrase, different by one letter. Isn't that cool? The ministry of Jesus carried forth in Peter. He does exactly the same thing Jesus does. Because Acts 1.8, you will receive power. You will receive power. And we see that evidenced here. Now, you'll also notice on your handout that there's a name that's not in the Bible that is on your handout. I mentioned earlier that about seven years ago, I was in the darkest time of my life. It was a period of time that lasted about 10 months where I started experiencing something I couldn't put a name to, where I would wake up in the middle of the night just in panic and frozen, and I couldn't breathe, and my mind wouldn't stop racing, and I had to get up, and I would fold laundry because it was the only thing I knew how to do at the time. And that just progressed, and it progressed, and it progressed until... It was at this point where I literally couldn't get out of bed because of the fear and the terror and the panic. I would be wrapped up in this warm, cozy blanket, frozen in bed. And the only thing that I could do was I could literally crawl from my bed to the bathroom where I would lay fully clothed in my bathtub in the dark because it was like the smallest and most confined place that I could find. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying for me. It was terrifying for my family. It was terrifying. And I was paralyzed. I was bedridden. I was like Aeneas, and I was like Dorcas. I felt dead inside. I was hollow. I, I could only think about all the horrible things that could happen and might happen and for surely will happen. And it was terrifying. And, yes, and, God intervened, thankfully, um, first by an appointment with my doctor, which led to medication, which led to counseling, which also led to a really significant meeting with a pastor who came to our home and who listened to my story and who called me by name, just like Peter, and who said, these are some things that are getting in the way for you. There's this 
fear of death thing that's going on. There's this anxiety thing that's going on. There's this depression thing that's going on. And he spoke to those things, and he said, get out, come up out of those things. And over the next, I mean, in that moment, there was healing that happened. I felt it. And I still did medication. I still did counseling. And I still experienced anxiety and panic sometimes. Yes, and. Does it paralyze me the way that it used to? Thank goodness, no, because I have all these skills now and a greater understanding. But I was just like Aeneas and Tabitha. And you guys, this really cool thing happened probably about three months after that night that the pastor visited our house. I got woken up in the middle of the night, only this time it wasn't panic. It was uh, actually a sense that I felt like I had to puke because that's how God gets my attention sometimes because I hate having to puke. And I woke up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to puke. But it was God saying, wake up. And that night, he spoke to me, and he gave me specific things. He said, Michaela Kira. He called me by my middle name, my first and my middle name. And he told me, these are the things that are true about you. This is who you are. You are beloved. And that season was right before this church was planted. That season was right before... I transitioned to a new job. That season was right at a time when our family was literally expanding. There was growth that was happening. There was fulfillment that was happening, this fulfillment of love. And how good that God in those seasons empowers us, just like he does with Dorcas and Aeneas. And I know i got to wrap up here. I just saw the clock. Um, so, not my day job. Um move on here. Okay, the last verse in this passage, verse 43, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, this is one of those verses that you just kind of breeze over. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, move on to Cornelius, the big time guy. Well, Simon had a job where he was working with the skins of dead animals to make them leather. That was not kosher for um, folks who are following Jewish protocol. So it's significant that Peter stayed in his home in a place that probably was considered unclean for some time. And that actually set up the next step for his work with Cornelius. So I'm not going to be able to go into more detail about that, but it's really interesting and I encourage you to read about it. Um, I am going to um, circle back. At the beginning, we talked about how God's growth and expansion in our lives is the fulfillment of his love for you, for others, for the world. And we get to join with Peter, with Aeneas, with Saul, Paul, with Dorcas, Tabitha, and all of the other believers of the faith, the other cloud of witnesses, like this says in Hebrews, um, as we allow God to grow and expand in our lives and in our understanding of his love for us as beloved children. So I'm just going to read this blessing over you. This is from a woman who's a therapist um, and a follower of Jesus. Her name's Andi Kolber. Um, and this is how I'll wrap up so then we can bless the children's ministry people by sending the kids out. Um, so receive this blessing. Dear ones, somewhere along the way, you picked up the belief that healing would be like a line you'd finally cross. And then, like a boulder in your bag, 
you carried this stifling yet seductive idea with you. For years, it has weighed you down, hitting your back, reminding you of your unfinishedness, whispering that you'd finally matter when, if ever, you arrived. But then, one day, the brightness of hope touched your eyes, inviting you to see reality as it is, not as it is expected to be. Finally, you considered putting down the boulder, perhaps because perhaps your value isn't up for dispute. Perhaps, perhaps, Hope said, you can lay that down for now and come join me in the dance of healing. And then you did. You put down the devastating weight and let yourself join into the truer truth of your identity, belovedness. Of course, sometimes you stubbed your toe and sometimes you picked the boulder back up because you thought you should. Yet your body, mind, and soul never forgot what it's like to dance with healing because now you know, and you'll never not know again. Now you can dance. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to join you in this continuation of your love going forth, your truth going forth, your healing going forth. Lord, for those of us who are in that place of strife, in that place of pain, Lord, God, we know you meet us there. And Lord, for those of us who have experienced the beauty of your healing, the beauty of your presence, the beauty of your redemption, Lord, we are grateful for that, Lord. And many of us are in between those things, that we are experiencing strife and beauty, Lord. And God, we know that you are present with us. We know that we can trust you in that place. We know that you are growing us in this place. God, remind us that we are yours. Remind us that we are beloved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.